Good morning. Thanks for having me here this morning. Um, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. It says verse 8, or should, but we're going to begin at verse 1 just to pick up the context. So let's stand together and read, read the Word of God. <clears throat> I read out of the um, New American Standard. Uh, actually, it's the NASB, which means now and always slightly better. That's what, that's what that means. So just to clue you in on that. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. <clears throat> uh, verse 1 more. All right. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for that which the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so when he had, they had come together, uh, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on the reading and the teaching of the Word of God. May we have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Go ahead and be uh, seated. <clears throat> no doubt most of you are familiar with uh, the context, of at least the beginning of the book of Acts. Jesus has been crucified. He's been risen. He has showed himself alive with many convincing proofs after about 40 days. And now it's just before the ascension into heaven. And he had already told them back in Luke 24, 49, that I'm going to send the gift of my father, the promise of my father upon you, but you're not to leave to Jerusalem until you're clothed with power from on high. And he reiterates the same thing in here in verses, you know, um, uh, four in Jerusalem. He gathered them together. He said, wait for what the father has promised, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so basically the last command that Jesus gave to his guys right before he ascends to heaven is don't move. Don't do a thing until the power of the Holy Spirit is upon your life. And that's, that's the fuel for the book of Acts. And that should be the fuel for 2,000 years of, of church history. And I think we've um, had a lot of misunderstandings concerning the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So hopefully this morning, whether you're uh, Pentecostal, post-Pentecostal, charismatic, post-charismatic, you're a dyed-in-the-wool evangelical or theological conservative, whatever all those stuff mean, hopefully you'll be able to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church this morning. So first of all, the question I want to ask is this. Who is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? Who is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? And you'll notice there in verse 8, it says, but you. And in the Greek, the word you is plural, uh, third person, uh, second person plural, you all. You shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit. So that means you and, and you. And, and that means you too. And back there at the soundboard, that means you. And Pastor Jared, that even means you and your wife. You, plural. It's not some of you will receive the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. All of you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not just an experience for the first century church that's not necessary for the church today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is meant to be the regular ongoing experience of the historic church <clears throat> down through the centuries. In fact, there on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter's preaching, 
um, the gospel, the people interrupt them. What must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, each of you, for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, your children, uh, all who are far off, and whomever the Lord might call to himself. And the word promise there, if you look at at, uh, Luke's terminology in both the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts, the word promise doesn't refer to salvation in Christ. It refers to the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized, each of you, and you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You shall be you shall receive the power of the Holy Spirit. For the promise, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the Father which uh, the promise which the Father gave, is for you, your children, all who were far off, and to whoever the Lord might call to himself. And you and I are in those last two categories. We're far off, and we're whom the Lord has called to himself. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. You know, it's not just for the super spiritual people in the church. It's not like for the worship leaders and, and, and Pastor Jared and the children's ministry workers. I think the children's ministry director is the most difficult job in the church. So whoever heads that up, you guys honor him or honor her. There's so many moving parts. How often Saturday night, 11, a.m., 11 o'clock at night, they get the call, I'm sick. And so they have to shuffle and get someone to serve. Honor your children's ministry directors and those that serve with him or her because they, they, they deserve it. They need the power of the Holy Spirit. They need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, it's not like um, <clears throat> the, the military. You, know, you, have, you have regular Navy and then you have the SEALs. It's not like ordinary Christians are the regular Navy and, and people in the full-time ministry are like the SEALs. And they need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. Uh, Jesus promised it. Peter and uh, Peter preached it. Paul taught it. The church received it. Listen, it's all the way through the New Testament. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for everybody. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is intended to be the normal spiritual experience of every believer. It's God's power for the whole church. God empowers and sends a whole church in the world. Not just pastors, not just uh, missionaries, but he sends the whole church. The whole church is to be empowered as we go into the world. You, you plural, you everybody shall shall receive power. So the question this morning is, If you're not walking, or or the the thing I want to impress upon you, if you're not walking this morning in the power of the Holy Spirit, something needs to happen to you. And and may I say, and I'll I'll explain this later, I don't care what your theology says. Whether, again, you're Pentecostal, post-Pentecostal, charismatic, post-charismatic, I don't know, more evangelical, theological, conservative. If the power of the Holy Spirit is not on your life, something needs to happen to you. I think our theology outstrips our experience. And we delight ourselves in our theology, which means that we rationalize our lack of experience. Something needs to happen to you. And I pray it will happen to you this morning. What about tongues? We're going to get to that later on. So, uh, who is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? It's for each and every one of you. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, we have to understand the baptism of the Holy Spirit <clears throat> in the context of how God gets his work done. God delegates his authority. God delegates his power. He gets things done through delegation. In the Old Testament, he chose specific people for specific purposes. And he anointed prophets, priests, and kings to do his work to represent him. He delegated to them his authority. To the prophets, he delegated his power. They were anointed to act in his stead on his behalf. And in the New Testament, Jesus did the same. He imparted authority to people to represent him, and he gave them the ability, he gave them the power to do what he did. 
Here's Matthew chapter 10. It's not on your, um, it's not up there on the board, but uh, Jesus summoned his 12 disciples. Uh, this is when he sent them out two by two. And he gave them authority uh, over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And so this is like a, a trial run for the church in the book of Acts and hopefully for the church now and through history. He gave them temporarily his, his authority. Exousia is the word there. The word for power is dunamis. But obviously they had the dunamis. They had the ability. They had the power of God to be able to cast out demons, to lay hands upon the sick and see them recover, to see the, the blind see and the lame walk and, and all of that. God delegated, Christ delegated to his men, to his people, and sent them out. The work that I'm doing, I want you to do. The way that I've been touching people, I want you to touch people the same way. The message I'm preaching, I want you to go out. And I want you to be a solution to the world's problems. I want you to go out with the power of God and come into various situations and leave there the power of Christ in that place. <clears throat> so the baptism of the Holy Spirit it's not a big spooky kind of a thing. It's God delegating to you his power and his authority to represent him. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is Jesus sharing his authority and power with you to equip you to take his place, to act on his behalf, to do the things that he did. You know, uh, God brought Eve to Adam uh, to, uh, you know, obviously to... Be fruitful and multiply. Someone has said that's the only commandment in the Bible that everybody has obeyed, right? Be fruitful and multiply. God brought Eve to Adam to, to make family happen, but also to serve him, to assist him in the garden, to do the work that God had given Adam to do. And there's a work that God has given Christ to do. And you and me, his bride, those of us who put our faith in Jesus, we're called alongside Christ, even as Eve is called alongside Adam, to serve with him and to go out to the field, to go out to the work and to see the, the world flourish under our hands. So who's the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? It's for you. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's Christ delegating to you his power and his authority. Why is the baptism of the Holy Spirit so important? Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we're going to find the 120 meeting together in the upper room. It's a familiar story uh, to you. And there they took uh, part in a 10-day prayer meeting. You know, just waiting on the Lord and then reading the scripture. The Lord said not to leave Jerusalem until they're clothed with power from on high. And so I guess we just hang out. Well, how will we know when it happened? I don't know. You know, I, I guess we'll know. You know, it'd be like... Uh, uh, Abraham went out from the Ur of Chaldees, not knowing whither he went. And when he camped every night, there could have been people saying, well, hey, Abraham, where are you going? What? Oh. Well, why are you out on the road? God told me to go. So you're out here, you're not, you're, you don't know where you're going, where you're going and where you're going to end up? He said, no. He said, Sarah, how, how will we know when we're supposed to stop? And Sarah had God's wisdom, and she said, you know, the Lord will tell us. The Lord will tell us when to stop. Well, how will we know we're clothed with power from on high? You'll know. You won't have to guess at it. Uh, you'll know. Why is the baptism of the Holy Spirit so important? Well, here's the 120. They're in the upper room. Uh, the death of Christ has happened. Obviously, his resurrection. And the impartation. He, he breathed upon them. Remember there in John chapter 3. He breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Christ has ascended up to heaven. He's taken his uh, place at the right hand of God. And so the perfect sacrifice has been given. Sins, uh, the, the perfect sacrifice has been offered. Sins have been forgiven. The Holy Spirit's been imparted to, to his life. But the city has yet to be touched with the power of Jesus. The gospel has yet to come into the city. And they were pardoned, but it was a pardon without power. And, and they had a calling. 
to be the body of Christ, to be Jesus on the earth. They had a calling, but it was a calling without clout. And they had a mandate. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, teaching the nations to uh, uh, obey whatever I've commanded you. They had a mandate, but there was no might. There was no muscle behind it. And I think this is what happens with the church. We're pardoned, but there's no power. And we have a calling, but there's no clout. We've been given a mandate to, to, to uh, disciple Walnut Creek to obey Jesus Christ, whatever he's commanded us. But we have no muscle. And, and how, how many churches or just the church singular in Walnut Creek? Is it a pardon without power? Is it a calling without clout? Do you have a mandate without muscle? This is why the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so important. Pardoned, pardon without power is an incomplete spiritual experience. Well, Pastor Tim, I've accepted Jesus into my life and I've been baptized 20 years ago and I've been walking with him close every day. Praise God. Who, who can argue with that? But you have a pardon without power. You have a calling without clout. You have a mandate without muscle. And I think so often this is descriptive of the church. Not you guys, of course, but I pass some churches coming in, and I'm sure it's descriptive of them. So <laughs> uh, That's why Jesus told them to wait for the promise of the Father, uh, for them to be clothed with power from on high, because being pardoned, having the Holy Spirit imparted to you, I, I, I'm sure we can say theologically that the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit was, was, was had by the disciples there in the upper room. But they were not yet baptized in the Holy Spirit. They had an incomplete spiritual experience. And if that describes you, something needs to happen to you. If you're not walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you have an incomplete spiritual experience. Having knowledge of God and the experience of forgiveness is not enough. There's more. Not only are you called to be a child of God, not only are you called to be a servant of God, you're called to be a witness. You're called to be a martyr is the Greek word. You're called to, bring, uh, to lift up your voice and to give testimony for Jesus Christ on the streets of, of Walnut Creek. We're witnesses of God. So who is the baptism of the Holy Spirit for? It's for all of you. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus giving his power and his authority to all of you. Why is it so important? Because without it, you have an incomplete spiritual experience. Well, how do I know? Let's get down into the brass tacks here. How do I know if I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? Well, if you're a Pentecostal, you'll say, I speak in tongues. Because part of the uh, classical, some of the Foursquare is getting away from it a little bit in other uh, independent bodies. But the classical understanding of being baptized in the Holy Spirit within classical Pentecostalism is how do you know you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? You speak in tongues. That, that's the badge right there. I speak in tongues, therefore I am. Didn't somebody say that? No. Uh, I speak in tongues, therefore I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now an evangelical will say, well, I've received Jesus and I've been baptized. And when I got baptized, I received all of the Holy Spirit. I couldn't disagree with that. The Holy Spirit, the Bible doesn't teach that you get 50% of the Holy Spirit at conversion and then another 50% of the Holy Spirit sometime later if you get baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's a person. He's indivisible. You receive him, you have him, or you don't have him. When I married Fran 45 years ago, almost 46 years ago now, I got all of it. Um, now her depravity has been increasingly <laughs> realized. No, I, uh, <clears throat> I got all of Fran. And obviously in 45, almost 46 years, there's been an increase of, of who she is and, uh, and vice versa. I don't know if she knew what she was getting back then, but I got all of Fran. She got all of me. The Holy Spirit is a person. And so when someone tells me, well, I got all of the Holy Spirit when, when, when I was born again and, and converted to Christ and regenerated, I have no argument with that. I think that's a biblically, theologically sound argument or, or a position to take. But 
if the Holy Spirit indwells you and you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit, something needs to happen to you. Because Jesus said there in verse 8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, power to take his place, power to do the things he did, power to be his representative. You know, you can speak in tongues and not be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I speak in tongues. I believe in the ongoing gifts of the Holy Spirit. I'm a continuationist, not a cessationist. I speak in tongues. Um, I speak in tongues every Sunday. No one hears me because it's just very, very quietly uh, through, the, uh, through the worship, and uh, no one even knows what I'm doing, but it's just my, my worship to Jesus, and I believe that he receives it and accepts it. But even speaking in tongues is not a sign that you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I know people who speak in tongues and do not have the power of God on their lives. And you're telling me you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm not buying it. You can deceive yourself. I'm not buying it. And I know people who don't speak in tongues, who do not believe in speaking in tongues, who believe I'm 100% wrong, and yet I believe they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the power of God is on their lives. Jesus did not say in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And we've made it all about tongues. And, and, and as charismatics, we're arguing this, and as evangelicals, we're arguing that. And it's all about tongues. It's all about regeneration. It's all about when did you get it, when didn't you get it. And we're missing the whole thing. We're missing the essence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit because it's about the power of God to raise our voices on the streets of Walnut Creek. It's about the power of God to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. It's about the power of God to be an influence for Christ. The two, the two big theological questions when it comes to this is when do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how do you know you've received it? Well, again, when it comes to the wind question, the evangelical will say it happens at conversion. Uh, the Pentecostal will say it happens after conversion. Uh, two disparate positions, I agree with both. I don't fight that stuff anymore. That, that's the stuff we fight. And that's the stuff that pulls the wool over our eyes. Someone will say I'm an evangelical, and I got, got them all when I got saved. Praise the Lord. Someone says I'm a Pentecostal, and like three years after I got saved, I was in a prayer meeting, and they had hands on me, and they were, I just erupted, spoke in tongues, and the joy of Christ was uh, blown up in my life. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. The issue is the power. It's the power of God. So whether you're an evangelical who believes you got it all when you were saved or you're a Pentecostal who's been speaking in tongues for 30 years, if you're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit today, something needs to happen to you. And I've known precious men and women who've told me, you know, I, I've been speaking in tongues for 30 years. And, it, and it's a precious experience for them. And as well as should be. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. But they think because of that, that they have the ongoing power of God in their life. And they don't. If you examine their lives, you'll go, eh, I don't think you do. And if they're honest about their lives, they'll say, you know, I'm, I'm not as zealous. I'm not as bold. I'm not as fearless as I used to be. Or I would go out and, and raise my voice for Christ. I just don't do that. I don't. It's not my heart for me. It's not my passion. It's something that if I feel guilty enough, I really won't do it. And that's not the power of the Holy Spirit. That, that's a theological persuasion. That's a Sunday school guilt that you're grabbing into. But when you're living in the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ flows from you. I don't see Peter working up, you know, uh, his sermon on the day of Pentecost. I don't see the, the apostles, you know, waiting behind closed doors, you know, trying, oh, God, pump us up, pump us up. It's not that at all. 
it's basically they say, God, keep us in, keep us in, or we're going to, you know, go out and explode on the world here because the power of the Holy Spirit was so powerful uh, in their lives. So if you're not operating in the power of the Holy Spirit, something needs to happen to you. You have an incomplete spiritual experience. It doesn't matter what happened to you yesterday. You have to receive and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, power is not a doctrine. It's not a sign. It's a possession. We've made the baptism of the Holy Spirit a doctrine. We've made it a a theological plank in, in, in the platform that, that we hold to. I believe this, I believe this, I believe this. And it was never meant to be that. It was meant to be the personal possession of, of each believer. Um, <clears throat> power is not a doctrine, it's not a sign, it's a possession. But how can you manifest what you don't possess? Remember Elijah was about to be taken up to heaven in the fiery chariot. And Elisha was going along with him, and uh, uh, Elisha said, When you're taken from me, let a double portion of the Spirit that's on you be on me. Now, he asked big, he asked bold. And Elijah goes, Well, I don't know. Uh, never occurred to me that you would ask that, and I don't really have a word from God on that. But let me tell you this. When I'm taken from you, if, if my robe, my mantle to the earth then you'll know you have that which you've requested and we know the story the fiery chariot came Elijah was taken up to heaven and that mantle kind of just sailed down you know uh, from the earth uh, from from the sky and Elisha picks it up and holds it and he goes and he strikes the Jordan and it says it parted here and there see how how did Elisha know that he had a double portion of the spirit of Elijah upon his life. Because now there's power where there wasn't power before. How do you know you're baptized in the Holy Spirit? There's power where there wasn't power before. It's not that you believe something new. It's not that you have a new plank in your theological platform, in your doctrinal stance and position. There's an experience that you're walking in. There's power where there wasn't power before. You know, the disciples... They saw Jesus taken from them, even as Elisha saw Elijah taken from them. And as the mantle came down and fell, and Elisha picked it up, so the Holy Spirit fell down upon the church. And now the church has the same power as Jesus Christ. There's power where there wasn't power before. If the baptism of the Holy Spirit bestows power, how do I know? And again, it's simple. Power where there was no power. Power in spiritual things, power to witness, power to pray, power to be in the word, power to minister. There's an influence in spiritual things. Excuse me. Remember Lot went and told his uh, two sons-in-law, up from this place for the Lord is about to destroy it. And what did his sons-in-law do? Remember? They laughed at him. Spiritual things made no sense from the mouth of Lot. He had no spiritual influence whatsoever in the the lives of his sons-in-law. They never saw him as a spiritual man speaking spiritual truth. They never saw him as one that would give them direction in the things of God. And so they they just laughed at him. And um, they, they, they didn't follow, and obviously they were destroyed there in the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, when Peter preached the day on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 were converted. I believe, and I can't prove it, but uh, we'll go with my sanctified speculation. See, when preachers guess, it's sanctified speculation. When you do it, you're just guessing your own number. Uh, (laughs) So here's, here's, here's my sanctified speculation. Had Peter preached the same sermon the day before the day of Pentecost, the day before the falling of the the Holy Spirit, and and there was a large crowd there, I believe that if he had preached the same sermon, it would have fallen flat. 
maybe his mom would have stood up just to make him, you know, feel, feel good about himself. But nothing would have happened. There would have been, there would have been no power. There would have been no spiritual influence, uh, influence in spiritual things. Why? Because he was not baptized. He wasn't filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, yes, the truth has power, and I certainly don't want to argue uh, against that. But Jesus said, don't wait until you have all the truth. He said, the promise of my Father is going to come upon you, and you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that gives you influence in spiritual things. And again, I think if he had preached the same thing the day before, nothing would have happened. Well, what about tongues? See, you can have tongues without spiritual power, and you can have spiritual power without tongues. Don't make it about tongues. Don't go there. I don't go there anymore with my charismatic friends, with my evangelical friends, with my post-Pentecostal friends, with my dyed-in-the-wool theological conservative friends. It doesn't matter. What matters is, sir, are you walking in the power of the Holy Spirit? Can you go out there and be a witness for Jesus Christ? Does Christ flow from you? Does the truth flow from you? Does the gospel flow from you? Does the love of God flow from you? Our witness of Jesus Christ should just be something that we, we live and breathe and move in. It's not something we should have to work ourselves up to. Um, I was at uh, CVS Pharmacy this last week. I went to get my van, and it wouldn't start. That's all I'll say, actually. And I, I tried this. I didn't, and I just had a new starter and battery for it. And it's just dead, dead. All my electricity worked, um, but it didn't even grind, didn't even click. I mean, just deathly silence. So I had to call the tow truck guy, and uh, he came, and we had to tow it over to where I take it. And um, <laughs> I don't know how we got started on it, but he started telling me that uh, Donald Trump is still the president, and John F. K. Jr. John John F. Kennedy Jr. is his uh, vice president. And they've had the Obamas and the Clintons put to death in Gitmo down in Cuba. And he just, he just went off on this stuff. I said, good grief. Where, where do you get this stuff from? And he told me some YouTube channel and this and that, and, and, uh, uh, which, of course, means it's, it's half-truthed, right? But uh, it was just nutso stuff. And uh, it, it went on. I just can't remember all of it. I was just in awe. I was just in awe about this guy. I mean, I think if you had told him anything conspiratorial, he would have believed it. The, the truth is just vanilla wafers. It, it's got to be conspiratorial, you know, then, it's, then it becomes something that's sexy or something. But uh, he was going on and on, and he told me his name. And I said, hey, William, I said, are you a Christian? No, I, I always ask that. Are you a Christian? Are you a follower of Jesus? And when they say no, I'll say, you're kidding me, right? You're not a Christian. You're kidding me. Why aren't you a Christian? Because I figure if I have to give an account for the faith that's in me, they have to give an account for the unbelief that's in them. You're kidding me. Why wouldn't you want Jesus to forgive you of your sins and give you the promise of heaven? But this guy said, yeah. I've, I've been a Baptist for 40 years. And uh, I said, well, great, praise the Lord. And he's kind of said some really, you know, standard evangelical things that, that we might say that would uh, give us an indication we know what we're talking about. Um, uh, I said, well, does your, does your pastor teach this stuff? Do you get this stuff from your church? He said, oh, no, 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 no. I get this from YouTube and on we go. But it is my standard operating practice whenever... Uh, I'm with a, a vendor that comes into the church. Well, I've been with a couple tow truck drivers now the last few weeks, unfortunately, because of, because of cars. Or just whenever there's the opportunity, you know, for, for conversation. Uh, are you a believer? Is your, uh, well, by some of the things you've said, it sounds like you were raised in the church. Or just, you know, getting the conversation going and pointing them to Jesus. I just want to point them to Jesus. Jesus told us to bear witness for him, to teach the nations to observe everything that he's commanded them to. And this is how I know I'm walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, I, not because I speak in tongues. You can fool yourself. And not because I have an evangelical theology that says I received all of the Holy Spirit when I got saved or regenerated. 
is because today the power of God is in my life. Today I want to I want to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Today I want to be a voice piece, a, a, a mouthpiece for Jesus Christ. How do you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? There's power there. And that power was preceded, listen, was preceded by desire. The baptism of the Holy Spirit will not awaken desire in your life to be a better Christian, to be a good Christian, and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can speak in tongues, and that's great. You can speak in tongues in the church or in the privacy of your own home or in the car or whatever, but do you lift your voice for Jesus like that? That's the context of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus sending the church out to be his voice. Well, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Who's it for? It's for each and every one of you. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It's Jesus sharing his power and his authority with you. He's delegating his ministry to you. Why is it important? Because we can't do the ministry without it. How do I know I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit? You're walking in the power of God. You're his mouthpiece in all that kind of stuff, in, in the job. And I understand about being uh, discreet and discerning on the job and all of that. I understand that. But you're to be the mouthpiece of Jesus Christ. Well, how do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, the, the, the popular reasoning runs something like this. If you have a hard time reading your Bible, if you're not sold out for Jesus, if you have a stale prayer life, if you don't have the boldness for, to witness for Jesus, if you're a self-centered, self-controlled believer, you need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I would say not so. Who were the very first people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? It was 120, right, on the day of Pentecost in the upper room. Did they have a stale prayer life? No. They, they were praying for 10 days straight, and they weren't even baptized in the Holy Spirit. They were, they were praying for 10 days straight. Jesus, in fact, did they have a desire to serve Jesus? Of course they did, or else they would not have been there. In fact, if Jesus had not said, uh, wait in Jerusalem until you're endowed with power from on high. They would have, they would, they would have scattered telling the message of Jesus. They, they weren't sin-soaked, self-centered, uh, you know, uh, sinful uh, believers. They had a desire, they had a passion to worship Jesus Christ. They weren't struggling with any of these things. Now, I do believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit will increase your zeal, your passion, your love for prayer, your love for the Word of God, it will increase your boldness, but it won't give birth to them. If you are a self-centered, sin-controlled believer, you don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You need to repent and get right with God. That's what you need to do. The baptism of the Holy Spirit isn't for mediocre, compromised Christians. It's not somehow uh, uh, the remedial course to get back right with God. There's already a way for that. Repent of your sins, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Um, you don't... Um, someone who is a, a self-centered, sin-controlled believer doesn't need to be filled up. They need to be emptied out. They need to be cleansed. You know, those who received on Pentecost the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they were empty. And they had totally dedicated their lives to Christ. Those who received the baptism of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost said, I will surrender myself to Christ. I have surrendered myself to Christ and to the Great Commission. My, my life belongs to Jesus. And I want all he has for me. And that should not just be the confession of the, the professional ministry or the full-time workers, you know, pastors, missionaries, children's ministry directors, worship leaders. That should be everybody's passion in the church. I want to live my life for Jesus. That, that's what I'm here for. Sir, you're not at your work to, to get a paycheck. You're at your work to be a witness for Jesus Christ. 
That's why he put you there. That's why he moved you to wherever you're at here in, the, in, this, in this town. You're there to be a witness for Jesus Christ and not just to, to earn as much money as you can. You belong to him and the king moves his people where he wants to. Um, and so to me, the lesson that emerges here from the uh, upper room on the day of Pentecost is that you and I were to be sold out before we're filled up. Sold out before we're filled up. We've come to the cross. We've repented of our sins. We've put our faith in Jesus. We've confessed our sins. He's been faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I just want to be yours. And if that's not your heart, you, you can pray for 30 years for the baptism of the Holy Spirit or for the power of God on your life. It won't happen. It's like you get up on, uh, you got up this morning, you went to the sink and you wanted a, a glass of water. And there in the sink was this uh, cup that had orange juice in it the night before. And the ground's kind of gotten hardened, you know, on, on the rim and there's a little bit of residue in the bottom. Are you going to pick that up and put it under the tap and then drink it? No, you're not, right? What are you going to do? You're going to cleanse it first. You're going to cleanse it first. And then you're going to pour it out. What does Jesus want to do with you? He wants to cleanse you. He so desperately wants to use you. But before using, there is the cleansing. And so the, the question is this. Um, oh, excuse me. Um, you have to be cleansed and emptied before you are filled and used. Cleansed of sin, emptied of self. You know, there in the upper room, it, it was all about Jesus. They weren't struggling with sin. They weren't struggling with self. It was all about Jesus uh, in the upper room. So the question is, will you empty yourself? Jesus won't do it for you. He won't. This has to be something that arises from your spirit, from your desire. This has to be something that comes from you. See, if, if, if he, he'll cleanse, I can't cleanse myself, but I can empty myself. I think so often we just want to be passive in our Christian life. Well, I, I give God permission to use me any way he wants. That's a lame thing to say. Can I say that? I'm, I'm not the pastor here. I'm going back to Fremont. So uh, <laughs> you, you can complain to <coughs> Jared. Um, and we, we make it sound so spiritual. Uh, but that's, I think, something we say. I, I think we're genuine, but at the same time, we don't understand spiritual dynamics. And I think also we say that to salve our conscience. Christ won't empty me. I have to empty myself. We want to remain passive have everything happen to us rather than us rising up in desire, rising up in faith, rising up in responsibility and, and, and obeying the commands of God. See, the, <clears throat> the promises that Jesus makes to you, he'll fulfill those. The commands he gives us, he expects you to do the commands. He expects him to fulfill the promises. Whatever he commands you, you're to do. We're told to, to empty ourselves. And that means me confessing my sin, my, my selfishness, my desire to be comfortable, my desire not to be seen as some kind of intellectual Neanderthal, my desire not to be made fun of or, or uh, be scorned, my desire not to lose friends. God, just empty me of all the flesh. Empty me of all my fear. God, I just give it to you. I confess it to you. And come and cleanse me. <clears throat> and come and, put, <clears throat> come and fill me. So don't allow yourself to remain indifferent uh, to the gifts from God. You know, what, what, what if Eve, you know, we know that Eve was called alongside Adam there to serve with him. And so uh, <clears throat> God brings Adam, Eve to Adam. And then the next morning they go out and Eve, Adam says, hey, let's go, let's go uh, work on that apple tree. Or let's go... Uh, 
you know, pick those roses or whatever. And what if Eve would have just stayed in bed and said, ah, do it yourself? Well, well, God gave you to me. I mean, so we can love one another. We can be fruitful and multiply, but also to work the garden with me. Nah, do it yourself. I don't want to do that. God created me to be in the home. He created you to go out and work. She had some really good evangelical theology even way back then. But God, God had given Eve to Adam to go to do work. No, you do it yourself. And, but I think this is what the church says to Jesus. Jesus, there's a world out there that's lost. Forget about the world. There's a city out there that's lost. God has raised you up. God has raised up this bride to be given to his son to go take this city for Christ, if you would, to be the voice of Christ. And the church says, ah, Jesus, do it yourself. I don't want to be a part of your work. I don't want to be a part of your voice. I don't want to be a part of your hand extended. I don't want to be a part of your arm that's exposed out there. Do it yourself, Jesus. And Jesus isn't going to do it himself. And so I think he keeps on raising up church after church after church to find a people that will partner with him. And we partner with him via the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Only you can empty you, but only God can fill you. And so God, Jesus takes that which is cleansed of self. Excuse me. Jesus takes that which is cleansed of sin, which is emptied of self. Jesus wants to share his authority, his power with you, that you can come alongside of him and partner with him. He would have you cleansed of sin, emptied of self, filled with the Spirit, doing his work. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about. It's not about afterglows and mystical human beings and whatnot. It's about you and me doing the work of Jesus. Now, you can only do the work of Jesus if you belong to Jesus. And it's possible that there's someone here has not received Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Paul the Apostle said, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. And this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never made the good confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that God raised him from the dead and that Jesus is Lord, I would love to pray a prayer with you of introducing you to Jesus that you can become part of God's family, that your sins can be forgiven, your heart can be cleansed. You can know, you can know that you're going to go to heaven when you die, when you die or at the rapture of the church. God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to fill you, but before filling you to die for you and to bear all your sins, to take all your guilt. And if you want to receive Jesus this morning as your Lord and Savior, I would invite you just to stand up right where you're at. And I'd love to lead you in a prayer of giving your life to Christ, surrendering your life to him, letting him fill you up. Is there anybody here? God wants to work. <clears throat> Let me extend this invitation. Um, <clears throat> I know well, in, in, in any group, any size, it, uh, it's, it's always, uh, you know, whenever there's the, the altar call, whoever wants to be uh, holier, stand up. And it uh, looks like everybody's standing, and uh, you're not necessarily moved by it. <laughs> you're sitting. And, and so you sit there, you go out. Someone looks at you and goes, oh, I guess this guy's not worried about being holier, right, you know, or uh, he's as holy as he wants to be or whatever. But I, uh, So there's always a, the danger of group psychology and an invitation of, of this nature. But maybe something I said this morning really spoke deep into your heart about being a witness for Jesus Christ, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, shuffling behind all of the theology that we argue about when it comes to these things and getting to the essence of Acts 1-8, which is the power. Whether you're not decided on tongues, you're not that doesn't matter either. What you should be decided on is what Jesus said. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to 
uttermost parts of the earth. And from Jerusalem, I would think Walnut Creek is uh, probably the uttermost part uh, of the earth. And so here we are to be witnesses for Jesus. And so this morning, and again, <clears throat> I understand uh, group psychology and peer pressure, but if you would like to um, just acknowledge to Jesus, I want to I be baptized. Uh, I, and someone might say, well, you're, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You're only baptized once. Forget that theology. I, I want to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in the essence of the thing. But that hasn't been true of your life. That hasn't been true of your life. I would invite you just to stand. And by standing, you're saying, Jesus, just come and fill me afresh. Come and fill me anew. I want to be part of what you're doing here at Calvary Chapel Hill at Walnut Creek. I want to be part <clears throat> of reaching my city for Jesus Christ. My, my family, my friends, my home, my neighborhood, my circle of acquaintances, my, my workplace. Jesus, I want to be given boldness to raise my voice for Jesus because that's exactly what a witness is. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would uh, uh, take these that are standing before me, that, Lord, you would le look deep within their hearts and that you would pour forth a fresh, Lord, a fresh anointing of power, a fresh anointing, Lord, of desire, a fresh anointing of resolve to, to reach this city, to reach my circles for Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we would be um, purged of fear, of, of, of scorn, of any kind of um, uh, sense of what people would say about me. Lord Jesus, I, I, I want to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. So Lord, may you come with a fresh anointing, a fresh baptism, a fresh infilling of power that we might be the church of Jesus in Walnut Creek. And Lord, we pray for all of the churches in Walnut Creek and Concord and whatever this area is called here, Lord, that the church would be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit to lift up our voices and our witness and our hearts for Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that this church would begin to serve in areas they haven't served before, that, Lord, their eyes would be open to areas of need they haven't seen before, that, Lord, whatever was uh, uh, an impediment of time would no longer be an impediment anymore, Lord, or desires that are directed at uh, doing other things, Lord, those would atrophy, and a desire to serve Christ with a burning fervor would be there. Lord, use this church. May they walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Uh, I guess now go ahead and be seated. Uh, we move into a time of communion, correct, Jared? Pastor Jared, um, we're told that in the night he was betrayed that our Lord took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body, take and eat it all of you for the remission of your sins. And in the same fashion, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for the remission of sins. Take and drink it, all of you. So as we enter these next three songs, so let's just can worship and partake of communion. And I guess we have prayer back there.